We're live, Playboy. All right. What's up? What's up, Keith? What's up? Get you some production viewers, followers, listeners. Yeah, world. We're coming at you live. Yeah, that's right. It's this live. Is, I'm do the intro. This is the Get You Some Productions podcast, episode 40, 40. So this is a milestone. This is uh, midlife, midlife crisis episode. Love it. <laughs> Love it. Uh, my name's Keith. My guest today is Justin. Hello, everyone. Justin's been a guest before uh, episode 38 and another prior episode. I can't remember which one it was. Um, we do we do want to get Justin on the podcast. I want to do uh, like a full-on interview with you mm. one time, you know? You may, you may regret that. <laughs> this, is, this is the podcast of no regrets, man. <clears throat> Uh, so, but but now we're not doing that. We're actually talking about this book still. This is um, Get You Some Productions Book Club. Uh, Unlocking Creativity, A Producer's Guide to Making Music and Art by Michael Beinhorn. Um, so uh, first thing is we're just going to talk about this book, and we're actually just going to talk about Chapter 1 or part of Chapter 1 today, and we're just going to riff back and forth on it. However, uh, if you want to read the book along with us, I think we start around we started started reviewing the book on episode 36. Um so 36 and then there was one intervening episode and then 38 and now and 39 and now 40. I think we're all talking about this book. Uh so by all means you can read it along with us and maybe we'll help you get some insights into record production. <laughs> and you can buy the book by clicking the link in the description. Uh, and help us out. It's an affiliate link. So you can help us by, if you want to buy the book, you can help us by clicking that link and buying it through through that affiliate link. And, um, you know, we'll make a little commission on it. So you just reread it? Chapter one? Yeah, I, I went back and, because uh, I'm, I'm in the middle of just chapter five. I was at the beach yesterday and I was getting into it. And chapter five was blowing my mind. I had to, like, stop and, like, start engaging everyone I was with. Uh, talk about it so but um you know chapter one is cool because chapter five i mean if you don't mind just uh, i'll jump ahead a little bit uh mm-hmm. you know he he de- he kind of defines i think i mean hey listen these these definitions um the way he explains them are debatable it's certainly his uh perspective but i think he hits a a lot of valid a lot of really valid points, um, but they're debatable or whatever. So chapter five is like, what is an artist? Like what makes an artist? And he's, you know, coming at it from the music sense, but I was talking about it with visual artists. And, you know, I think, and even me, like I dabble in like fragrance and aromatherapy and, you know, I'm always making stuff like woodworking. And uh, I, I think it's a pretty applicable, um, across the board, even though he's talk, talking about music. But then we get to chapter one where he actually defines what is a, what is a record producer, you know? So mm-hmm. first reading myth, I was kind of like, you know, I went, I went to college. I was a, a studio composition major, and um, I wanted to forget. I had to go see my advisor, and he looked at my program, and 
I don't know, I, I thought I was wasting my time with fun classes and, and wanted to do some other things. And he just like sat back and looked at my course load and he was like, mm-hmm. So we have a producer on our hands. And I was just like, uh, yeah, duh. Like, isn't that what I came, came to this college for? You know, like, but I didn't even really know what the producer was back then either. I just knew I was like super into songwriting, super into like creative engineering, like doing all sorts of weird stuff in the studio to get certain effects and, mm-hmm. uh, and all that stuff. So for me, I was kind of like, oh, crap, like this is what a producer was. Like, I wish someone could have given me a little bit more clarity because I maybe wouldn't have spread myself so thin, you know, which is like, uh, I don't know, I guess that's a blessing and a curse in itself, like when you're trying to do everything, but it's also nice to just be able to be like, no, I'm going to be a producer. I'm going to be this type of producer, you know? And, like, you have your uh, uh, boundaries to work within and, you know, really flourish in those uh, uh, domains. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and I was thinking about last, last time we spoke on episode 38, we were talking about uh, just the introduction, but I yeah. had forgotten to mention although I was thinking about it when we were talking that you actually went to school for music production. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, you know, you bring a lot more, you bring some, you know, some, some actual uh, academic and, you know, professional uh, insight perspective into this. Mm. Whereas, you know, I'm just a musician, you know, songwriter or something like that. Right. So it's like the actual production that I've ever done was, you know, on a four track, <laughs> you know, or yeah. you helped me with it, you know, or yeah. we went to an actual studio, but there was no actual producer. Oh, you know, actually, self-re- yeah, I, no, I just, cause are you just talking about the time when, when you and I, when we had Oliver's musical genius and we recorded our, what did we do? Like three songs? Yeah, well, there's that. Yeah. So, so I'm talking about, well, there's, so yeah, so, when we did that, there was no formal producer, right? But we were just kids also. We were just kids, but that engineer, the guy who owned that studio and ran that studio, had a lot of good production ideas, if you remember. Like, I was reading over this, and I was kind of like, you know, because, you know, there are the producers who get very into, there are engineers who are producers, and there are producers that are, that, you know, that don't know anything about this equipment. And he knew a lot about the equipment, but he also had a lot of musicality. And, like, if you remember, he was just like, we got we to gotta use the egg shaker on this tune. And yeah. it was like, the, it was, it just elevated it, like, you know, exponentially. It was such a better sound once that was in there. It really, like, lent itself to, like, the surfy fun. And it just, like, brought the whole thing together. And uh, maybe mm-hmm. it wasn't like, you know, like, every time I record... Uh, one of my songs, if it's upbeat, I try to get all sorts of like uh, auxiliary percussion like that in, just like slightly different rhythms. And, you know, I just think it, it makes everything sound a lot more fun. But I don't know if I do that because I can remember back on that uh, situation. But either way, um, you know, he was producing us. He was very intentional with you. He was like, oh, mm-hmm. this beat, I'm going to record it like this. I know I'm going to use this kind of reverb. So, I mean, he was producing it, just not as deeply as uh, Beinhorn, uh, you know. Uh, you know, I guess he was producing our demo. 
Uh, you know? That's like, fair. What he did, that was his cup of tea, that dude. That's fair. You know, because uh, that's fair, because there are levels to it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so, so let's back up for one second, because you're, I think, we, well, I might, a quote from the book comes to mind um, that, uh, that I'm going to read right now, because it was like the thing that sort of blew my mind. <laughs> okay. Like, it's the, actually the first, it's like one of the first paragraphs in chapter one. So I have page, it highlighted. It's page nine, right? So a record producer is often an objective outsider. This is just a list, an objective outsider, an independent consultant, a music fan, a song co-writer, an arranger, a recording technician, a computer programmer, an artist development specialist, a support system, a psychologist, and a catalyst, right? Mm -hmm. It's like... This all, it's like a long list of some, in many ways, disparate skill sets. And it's like, you know, oh, crap, am I supposed to be all that? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, no, but, I don't, I think he's, he's not, yeah, yeah. He doesn't mean all of that. It, it, it's just, he says it's a variety of jobs. It doesn't have to be all of those things, you know? And I think he talks a lot about, um, you know, he does preliminary interviews. Like, there's two steps that right. he get, goes through in his in his process uh, to decide if he's even a good fit with the artist. You right. know, like because maybe that artist needs something on this list that he can't offer them, or like you know, just doesn't, or to the degree that they would need it. You know, who knows? Yeah, I was thinking that when when um when I was reading it, um, that it's possible that you know, you have a producer and part of your job is not necessarily just to fulfill all those functions, mm-hmm. but, but rather know, maybe have a bench of people that you can hire that can also fulfill those or make sure there's somebody on the scene that can handle all that stuff if necessary, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah, you know, sure. just a deeper, a deeper bench of people. Yeah. You know, or like just to make sure that you want to ma- if you really want to be like a, a professional producer and and you want to maximize all the projects you're getting into, you know. Yes. So 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 this is episode forty, and and in episode thirty nine, Dan and I covered a couple of quotes on pages nine, ten, eleven, and twelve. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you really want to cover on those pages? Yeah. Well, I mean, I actually highlighted the same thing that you just said on yeah. page nine. Yep. Um, but I, I like sometimes he just drops these little lines where he really sums it up. And, like, sure, he, he goes through this list, lion tamer, like, yeah, the producer may be all those things. But in short, it, your job is to help the artist excel. And then next page, uh, I think this, you know, I was always trying to, when I was serious about making music, I was very into uh, doing everything on my own. And I was like, no, I want to engineer it. I want to be the one to produce it. Like, I wanted to just, like, do it, figure all that stuff out, do it the way I wanted to do it. Um, And I guess I could even get more into that because he does talk about some other things. But page 10, he goes, "Um, after working with a talented producer, the artist may never view his work the same way as before. Mm -hmm. He should feel as though he's leaving the project as a different person from when it began with a brand new perspective and skill set. Right? I mean, 
Mm-hmm. That's how you know, like, because later he goes, I don't know how far you want to get ahead, but he does talk about, you know, he kind of stereotypes a couple different types of producers. And one thing he says is, like, he kind of addresses, like, the egotistical or, like, money-hungry producers. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, if you are just trying to get your imprint on the artist, then the artist is not going to walk away with, like, yeah, I became a better person because it's about you, uh, uh, like, inserting yourself into the, the artist's uh, or the band's, like, you know, you're making yourself like a silent member of the band almost. And that's not really, you know, you're not, you know, I think the way Beinhorn explains it is like you're really, it's like a boot camp almost, you know. It's like you got to get in there and, and uh, I mean, not a boot camp in the way where you have to be like strict and scream at anyone, but, you know, you're you're banging out this project and it's like, you know, however many songs and, uh it should be like a, um, you know, like you become, the artist becomes like an apprentice. And I say apprentice because, you know, uh, there's a crossover between an apprentice and a master where the master is also learning from the apprentice. Like the teacher is always learning from the student, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just in in the act of teaching, you learn a lot. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, um, I thought that was, uh, well, it was just refreshing and like a deep thing to say. Uh, something I thought, it, mind, you know, yeah, I'm good. glad you brought that up because I didn't, I didn't highlight that one. And it's just interesting to hear like what, you know, what, what jumps out at different people. Yeah. Like a producer should be <clears throat> selfless in a way, you know? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> You know, you know, actually, it's funny because there's, uh, and I think we mentioned this briefly, there's that, that pop music uh, documentary, or This Is Pop Music, whatever it's called on, on yeah. Netflix, right? And they do the episode of uh, what makes a good producer, or like, why do the best producers come from uh, Sweden, right? Yes. And uh, – they kind of bring it back to like this overarching theme of, well, you know, it's a Swedish culture. We are, uh, we're like, it's embedded in us to stay humble. So like they're coming in and like, they're getting artists from all over the world, you know, by, by the nineties because of uh, their success in, in previous decades. Mm-hmm. And um, a, they have a team, you know, so they're wearing, they're probably covering many of those roles that Beinhorn uh, talks about. And also they're just, it's not about them. It's about the, uh, it's about the, you know, what happens in the end, you know? And when, especially really all the, the, the glue comes together in the chapter where he's talking about the artist, like he mentions a lot about like an artist. He's got this one line. Uh, I'm just going to like paraphrase it. Uh, for an artist, good is never good enough and good enough is never good. Uh, and like an artist, it, a true artist doesn't really, you know, like when even when the producer says, that's it, you got it, that's the magic take. Like if you're the performer, if you're the artist, and you don't feel that in your bones, I know what, here's a good example. Uh, Elvis Presley, 
when he was young, early in his career, uh, you know, he had his success and all those, like, badass recordings from Sun Recording Studio. And then whatever, he was working um, at, like, CBS Studio. And, you know, I, I think it was CBS. I, you can't call me on that. I'd have to look it up. But whatever studio it was, they were trying to replicate the Sun Studio, like, reverb delay, tape delay effect. Uh-huh. And they had, I think, I think it was, um, forget it. it, it wasn't necessarily a plate, it was just a, but it was a room that they had designed with some sort of material, like uh, building material, that gave enough reflection so they can put a speaker in there, play everything back in. Uh, I just, I can't even remember what Elvisung was, but he did something like, you know, they were like, it's great, it's great, it's great. And everyone was telling us great. And he was like, no, no, give it, just, let's roll it one more time, let's roll it one more time. And he did some ridiculous amount of takes. And, like, you know, when he felt good, that was the take. That was the take they used. And, you know, it was a massive hit, you know. So, um, you know, I think I think the way Beinhorn approaches it, that uh, if you're going to be the producer, it's really just about empowering uh, the artists with all the right tools. And so I thought that summed it up really well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, so I'll, I'll like um, just go off of what you said. And, and there was a lot of stuff in here about the producer, like, um, like getting out of the way. Yeah. Or, oh yeah. So like if the quote that I read, the very next line is to be clear a record producer's primary directive is to help the artist excel, right? So it's just mm-hmm. like like what you said. It's like the artist is already the artist, right? <clears throat> if you have a good artist, they're going to want the best thing, and a lot of times you're just there to facilitate. I mean, know, help lift them up. Yeah, because, you know, also he goes on, and, and one of the things he says is like a true artist is always challenging themselves and is always up for a challenge, Mm-hmm. You know, so and I mean, I think these quotes are hilarious because they're there's always there's like these duality quotes where they like he turns the he says the sentence and turns it around. The last two ones you mentioned were that that had that format. Yeah, I don't know what it is, <laughs> but it's like <laughs> you know, I guess it's like those gray areas. I, yeah, I just maybe I'm just a sucker for those kinds of lines. I don't know, but yeah. they speak to me for sure. Right, right, and I think it's good to mention that. We're like we're calling out these these um these lines that we thought were interesting, mm-hmm. but um, but there's a lot more in the book, you know. So you can if you read the book, you're going to get a lot more out of it. And what 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 we choose may not be what you get the most out of, you know. Mm-hmm. Let's let's jump forward to um, the recording. This is page thirteen. The production process before recording. Oh yeah. Okay. So this is what I was, this is what, so Dan and I, last episode, Dan and I got this far, but we didn't get into this yet. So I think me and you should just get into this stuff. Like, okay, cool. The, um, the different stages, because like you said, he has a process and he has a, let's see, five, right? Hold on. Is it five or six? He uh, has a six stage process. Yeah. The six stage is a little like. It's a fuzzy. It's fuzzy. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, so let's just – I'm just going to read the, 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 high, the titles, right? Mm-hmm. So he has a six-stage process, and this is before you even get to the studio. Right. There's a process he does, right? There's an introduction. Stage one is introduction and interview. 
<clears throat> stage two is what he calls a flyover of the artist's work. Step three, or stage three, is creative visualization. Creative visualization. Step four is preliminary pre-production. That's three Ps. Stage five is pre-production. So he has a distinct stage that says preliminary pre-production, and then he has a stage five that's pre-production. And stage six, the one that we can't quite understand, is just called the next vista awaits, which is like, yeah. what the hell does that even mean? I think right? that's like, I think he just means like, that's like the marinating uh, stage. I think they're all just marinating. The band or the artists have done their work. He's okay. done his work. They probably have a bunch of like demos or like live recordings of the tracks. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's kind of marinating. Take a breath. Okay, let's let's go stage let's go stage by stage. Okay. So the introduction interview. Um, meet the artist. Just you know, do a FaceTime, Skype t- talk. Later on, get to know each other. He's got a set of questions that he like reveals about this interview. Nice. And nice. Uh, we should I, when we do it, I want I want to hear your answers to that question. Like I'd love to ask you those questions, and you know, vice versa. Totally. You know what? By the time we get to the end of this book, we're going to have made a record each. Yeah, we'll, we'll at least have a, a philosophy, a good <laughs> mindset for making one. And I am. I do want to make a record soon, you know, whether yeah. it's four songs or whatever. Just to, But I'd like to um, kind of uh, incorporate all this stuff into it. Totally. So, yes, I'm glad you read ahead because I didn't. Yeah. I don't know what's coming, but that's important because I, I actually wondered. So, anyway – Stage one is an interview, right? And he has specific questions, which we'll get to when we do. Stage two is the flyover of the artist's work, right? That's him just getting to know, like you submit all your stuff to him and he listens to your stuff and he gets to know you as an artist, right? Yeah, and I think to to translate that into, you know, I don't know, I know he did, I mean, I know he still works now, but when was his book actually published? Because, you know, times are changing so quick. And this book is published in... 2015. So, you know, a flyover is probably like, yes, the artist is submitting that work, but all the work that the artist submits is biased. So he probably is going through YouTube, watching interviews, you know, like, you can tell so much about an, uh, an artist just like even watching a live performance. Like, what do they say between the songs? Do they say anything between the songs? Uh, you know, some of the radio shows um, that of my fa- some of my favorite bands, the radio hosts sell, you know, the band is doing like a, basically a live set, maybe, you know, five to seven songs, but they're kind of doing interviews between, between the songs. Maybe it's a song about, maybe it's a question they ask about the song. Maybe it's a question, it's just more of a personal question about like, I don't know, the artist's story. So I think, you know, everything you can get your hands on and there's so much to get their hands on is worth checking out. If you're, if you're uh, a producer, you can't just depend on. Uh, mm-hmm. That's a good point. So this is like a message to all the producers out there. You don't just say like, okay, I'm, I'm willing to produce you. Submit your, you know, pr- press kit to me. You also have to do your own research. Because yeah, I- what they submit is biased by their own selection process. Right, because you're trying to figure out who they are as an artist. You don't want to know who they, what they 
think they are as an artist because there could be something that they have in them. Like if it's a singer, uh, the singer may actually just have like be really gifted at, I don't know, singing in a falsetto voice. But they don't like to sing like that. So a producer could push them to do that. Or maybe uh, on the demo, the artist plays an instrument that they wouldn't are normally not confident enough in to do on the final recording. But maybe that, uh, that um, like, the, the amateur vibe or, like, maybe they just have a certain feel when they play that instrument actually is, like, incredibly fitting. And it's, like, your job as the producer to, you know, kind of, just get at that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I get that. I agree. Uh, was that – that was – oh, yeah, two. that was the flyover. That was two. Stage three is – he calls it creative visualization. Mm-hmm. I, I actually put my own title. Actually, and I think what I plan to do is, like, make my own – as we go through the book, I want to rewrite all this stuff in my own way mm-hmm. so that I can have, like, my own – process my own menu informed by his but but you know but make it my own you know that sort of thing yeah um, so I called it making an assessment right you just like you don't just do that you learn about the artist but you have like at the end of learning all about them you have some sort of concrete uh, you know crystallization or assessment or or description of what you think they are like he goes on to say um, I complete my conceptual overview of who the artist is as, a, as an individual, what the artist is as a creative entity, yeah. whether she is a dedicated artist, an inspired dilettante, a skilled artisan, an unskilled enthusiast, or an exotic blend, you know? And maybe those are actually, I haven't read ahead like, like you have, so I don't really know if those are actually, it would be hilarious if those are actually the titles like, this person is a dedicated artist. Like that sounds like the highest calling, right? But if they're just an inspired dilettante, you know, which is not, if they're truly inspired, it's not the worst thing in the world, you know? Uh, when you read this, like a creative entity, what's an example of the band? Because I, I would call this stage like mood board or like profile yeah. picture, you know? Like, sure. And when he says like creative entity, and I'm just going first thing that comes to mind, and maybe this is because I know some friends of mine went to go see this band last night. They were posting all over social media about it. But like the, a band like the Grateful Dead, it's like a creative right. entity. You know, it's like uh, maybe they're not writing hits or, or, or you know what I mean, but uh, huge hits. But they're uh, they got this thing going on, this creative entity. Or for you, you're a huge fish fan. I think fish is more of like a creative entity, like that sort of thing, right? I, a dedicated I agree. Musician. What's an what's an example that you can think of that's like a dedicated artist? Okay, yeah. So so, <clears throat> I, well, let me back up for a second because when he says what the artist is, mm-hmm. creative entity, it, he has it in parentheses as a creative entity. So, and then he has the categories of the creative entity. Oh, uh, I understand. Yeah, it's all, it's under that umbrella. Yeah, right, true. so he just right. called, he said, like yeah, so he, I agree with you that there are bands that are creative entities in and of themselves, right, where the band is like, is the thing, and it's not just a single artist. 
And I actually do think that, like, if you if this was producer was if if Beinhorn was going to produce a band like Fish, for instance, he wouldn't be approaching the band by saying, "Okay, tr- like I want to get Trey's vision," right? Because Trey is just one person in the band, right? Mm-hmm. As an example, because that band is like its own organism in a way, right? On the other hand, take somebody like. Uh, like Bob Dylan, right? Mm-hmm. Bob Dylan is the creative entity unto himself, right? Any band that's assigned to him mm. is not part, is, is, you know, I don't want to say that he doesn't treat them like they're part of the creative process. I'm sure he does, but they're not there in the same way to, you know, to be part of that process. They're there to facilitate his vision. Yes. Right. So that's, but that's, so that's just the only distinction there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so he has, he has a bunch of categories here that he just sort of breaks artists down. Like, you know, I mean, let's, you know, like actually kind of interesting thing to do would be like, what are you, right? What am I? Am I a dedicated artist? Or am I just an inspired dilettante? You know, this is like my coming to Jesus moment. Like, what am I really, you know? Or you know, am I just a skilled artisan? I'm not an unskilled You're an exotic enthusiast. blend of all of them. I probably am. And I you would know? not put you under the dilettante. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't feel like, yeah, I don't feel like that anyway. But I, but I, don't, I don't know if I want to, like, call myself a dedicated artist, right? Because I'm not, you know, a full-on dedicated artist. I'm a blend. Well, yeah, given the opportunity, you might be, but I yeah. get what you're saying. But skilled artisan, yes, you're an extremely skilled uh, musician. Right. Uh, like a skilled guitar player. Like, you know, you're one of the best guitar players I personally know. So, Well, and there uh, you go. Definitely yeah. from there. I'm somewhat, it, I'm somewhat skilled. <laughs> so you're not like an – you're not like an unskilled enthusiast. You know, there's right. like always, there's always those people who are like, right. You know, uh, Oh yeah. I wrote these songs. I'll like, they'll write amazing songs, but they don't know the names of the chords. Like that kind of thing. You know, you've yeah. met like those kinds of people. So you're not an, just an unskilled enthusiast who has like a, uh, just a, a talent and like, you know, just oozes this stuff out. Um, so I, I put you under skilled artists in there and I think you're dedicated. I mean, or at least like, you know, I think you are as dedicated as you possibly have time and like opportunity to be dedicated. So I would, I'd put you under there. Yeah. And, uh, I would say somewhat dedicated. When I think inspired dilettante, I start to think of like Blondie or like, you know, uh, like more, uh, maybe, um, uh, what's her name? That like kind of country singer. Yeah. I've been obsessed with her. I gotta look at my Spotify to just remember her name. My memory's um, out of my yeah. old age. I don't know too many country singers. Well, she's like a crossover. Um, yeah, where is she? Where'd she go? Lucinda Williams. You know, oh. I don't really know. I haven't like watched much of her, any of her live stuff. When I listen to her music, that's kind of like get like. 
you know. I mean, she's a badass singer. I think she plays guitar. I don't, I'm not even sure. But, uh, you know, just her attitude, I would give her, like, a dilettante, like, you know, yeah. vibe. So, anyway. You know, well, actually, so what if, and maybe this is also something, like, this is something that I find interesting, but maybe it's not even just what you are, but what you want to be. You know, like, what's motivating you? Because if the producer gets into this process, you know, and is, like, sort of a nurturing shepherd, right? Mm -hmm. You don't have to be all the way there. You know, you just have to know your limitations. You have to have some good material. And you have to be, and you have to give yourself up to the process, you know? So, um, you know, and I guess like the way you'd want it, you, you'd really only want to work with dedicated artists in some respect, but an inspired dilettante would be like, actually, it's interesting you put that second because that, that might be your second choice because even that person would have, um, that person would have a good deal of passion. Yeah despite, you know, uh, despite their perhaps lack of skill or maybe lack of experience, whereas a skilled artisan would, would be a third choice in a way because that person, you know, you might read into it and say, oh, they don't have the inspiration, mm. but at least they're skilled enough to get something across so we can, put, we can work with this here. An unskilled enthusiast is like, They've got nothing but enthusiasm, right? So it's sure. like, it's like you, that's the toughest one to work with, right? Yeah. Except for that they have the enthusiasm, which is great, but the product, you're going for a different sort of product in that case. Maybe you don't know what kind of product you're gonna go, going for at this stage. You might not even know. I think for, for me, from my takeaway of what I would do, I mean – you know, yes, you want them to have something. You want – I think it's kind of good to be able to, like, you know, if they were going to be the person on the record cover, what would that record cover look like? What would they be dressed like or what would they be doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, I think it's, it's important to, to be able to give them – to be able to define that sort of style, personality. And then – I just think you want to work with people who want to work. You know, you got to, you only want to work, you don't want to work with someone who doesn't have follow through. You know, like for me, uh, I can never work with someone who just, I don't know, didn't care or like would want to like get, like hang out and drink, drink or like, you know, or whatever, instead of like getting the music, uh, where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. And actually, so I, I want to say one, something it's sort of unrelated, but as we're talking about this, I find that what I'm realizing also is that as we're talking about this stuff, I'm, and because when you and I talk about it, we don't really put like a limitation on what we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. This sort of like free flowing thing, actually made me realize that this particular sentence that I unlocked, that I underlined, but I didn't, I thought it was important, but I didn't think it was that important. I, I shouldn't say that. I underlined it. I thought it was important, but I didn't realize how important it was until, until, we, until we just sort of like 
you know, shot ideas back and forth for a while. And then I realized, okay, well, you're, now you're talking about, you know, having these, this clear picture mm-hmm. of who the artist is and how important that can be and all the different – now I'm starting to think about – because it's making me think about all the different processes that you might have to go through or accentuate or, um, or the different approaches, like to be more broad, the different approaches you might take with different types of people. Mm. And it's like, oh, that's actually really important. So yeah. you want to move on to stage four? Yeah, let's do it. This one's the most interesting one I, in some respects to me. Yeah. Preliminary pre-production. So it's not just pre-production. It's preliminary pre-production. It's like before you can do production, you have to do pre-production. And before yeah. you do pre-production, you have to do pre-pre-production. You know, so it's like, it's almost like, you know, just as I'm saying it, and I'm and I'm realizing that it's like, it's like you have redundancies, and then you have redundancies of redundancies. It's like how much, you know, everybody else does production, and everyone else does pre-production. How can we, how can we make our production better? Wait a minute, I got it. Let's do pre-pre-production. Yeah. You know? Let's well, start one step earlier you know, and drag it out for even longer because we don't want to mess this up. So we have to, you know, put as much time, you know, we have to give a long stretch of time I think uh, of, is, work, of time on task, you know? I think that stage is probably the most vital of all the stages, actually, because this is where you're, like, trimming the fat. You're really analyzing, like, are my lyrics, lending them so like am i like as a song stands alone like if someone else was going to perform it in a completely different style like you can kind of address like does it have all those elements you know or is it like or how close can we get it to that you know like maybe you know there's a lot of questions to be asked and i guess you know if we had a lot of people in the room people could argue this like you know there's definitely records where it's the uh, what makes it so precious is that just that artist can get the song to come across that way, you know, mm-hmm. like has something to do like, and there's a lot of truth to that, but like, you know, going back to Dylan again, like his first hits before, you know, they were not done by him and look how universal they were, you know, and, and uh, done by uh, so many different artists and, and different vibes. Yeah, so, and, well, I, even now, I think, like, there's so many Dylan tunes that have been done by other people. Yeah. And that's basically proved that, you know, not that it needed proving, but his songs are, you know, really good. Yeah, and <laughs> so, he's not the only one. I mean, I keep, right. I'm a huge fan, so I keep, like, going back to him, and, you know, it's just, it's very easy, because I'm very inside a lot of a lot of his songs, and I just think he's a, a very, uh, not that he's even... I don't think he's trying all that hard, but, you know, he's just very unique and I love his uh, vocal style, vocal phrasing, and how laid back and just nonchalant it could be and just be so, uh, still gets through. Um, yeah, yeah. But I think that preliminary, because that's where you kind of like make all of the hardest choices. Um, I think that could be the most sticky stage as well. I think like, as, as far as working with an artist, you really have to be careful because it's it's an early stage. 
and you don't want to uh, and put anything bitter uh, in the report, working rapport between you and the artist if you're the producer. But, you know, I think cause in the next stage, I think it's mostly like, and now we're just going to make it muscle memory, you know, and make sure that, you know, it's like the, it's like the, the, the edit. It's like the last word check before mm-hmm. we go into the studio, you know? So I think the, the preliminary pre, what does he call it? The pre-preliminary? He calls it preliminary Preliminary pre-production. I just think that is probably, um, and I think involved in that, also it's kind of like, well, this artist needs to do this. This artist needs to do this. I need to team. I need to team that artist up with a vocal coach, or I need to team that artist up. Mm-hmm. I need this artist to listen to every record of this other artist that he's never heard or he's never heard before. You know, I think that could be like the most uh, evolutionary stage. Mm. Yeah, I I agree. For some reason, this particular stage is what was most attractive to me mm. because it was. In, in a sense, it was like iterative, <clears throat> like it was like go into the studio, really mess with the songs. It's almost like it's like arranging, songwriting, practicing. It's all that stage encompasses like all those things. Yeah. I'll read a I'll read a quote because he describes okay. it. He says, "I refer to this stage as preliminary pre-production, and the technical aspect of it covers everything." from examining and fixing song structures and song arrangements to band orchestrations, addressing performance issues, and so on. This stage could conceivably last for a couple of months and requires regular interactions between the artist and myself. So it's like, you know, just like, it's like such a nitty-gritty stage. It's like, wait a minute, before you even think about going into the studio, you have to make sure all these songs are like perfect and all the band arrangements are perfect and all the playing is perfect and all this stuff. Yeah. I don't like the word perfect when you say it, but I I think everyone gets the idea, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and actually what it reminds me of is like, when I think about it, I don't think there's no method, there's no specific right or wrong, you know, but you know, you got it. Let's just say you got to get it right. You got to get it feeling right. You know, and when you're the artist and the producer and everyone in the band or everyone involved in the process, like, you all know it when it feels right. You all know it at the same time. Yes. Totally right. Yeah, so, yeah, I shouldn't say perfect, but because um, that's, like, <laughs> it's, like, really not – because there is no perfect, obviously. But, um, but uh, you know, it makes me think of, like, whenever I w- feel like I want to make a record, mm-hmm. what I would want to do – is ha- rehearse the songs, then go on tour, then make oh, yeah. the record. You um, know? Yeah. There's like almost nothing that, there's nothing that sort of crystallizes. I, I keep saying crystallizes, but there's nothing that, you know, gets the songs to where they need to be, like playing them live. Uh, yeah, that's a double-edged sword, I think, too. Could be. Because a lot of the time, it depends on, it depends on the artist. It depends on the group. 
I think for you um, and the people you play with, uh, uh, it's easy. Uh, you know, for people like us, we can we can you you know if you're the type of group, you could be in the band and you could be like, ah, oh, you know what? I was just thinking, and you can like just have a conversation in this part on this song. Let's go. Let's. Uh, Let's just vamp. Let's, like, switch it and vamp on, like, these two chords or, like, you know, you can have that conversation. Then when you get to the live show, you can do it, and everyone's open to do it, and everyone's comfortable to do it. But mm-hmm. if you're the type of band where it's just, like, you know, and also depends on the audience, too, I guess, is the audience, are you the type of band where your audience is just, like, because I think if, if it's after the pre-production stage, I guess it's fine. Um, but like, if you're the type of band you just like, no, we gotta go get out there and make sure it's perfect and it's like the same way every night. That could be like, uh, yeah, that's a good way to get sick of the songs really quick too. Yeah, you know, and it's you're also like, you're playing them out all the time, and then you gotta get against, gotta get into the studio, and it's just kind of like, eh, I don't know, I don't know. It depends, you know. Like some artists are like great actors where they're very good at reconnecting with the song, just like with the emotion of, of the time that they wrote it. And then, you know, I guess for others, it just gets lost or maybe the feeling just evolves and maybe that's better and maybe it's not. So I don't know. It's just, I don't think it's a bad thing. It's just, you don't know what you're going to get if you, if you, if you go out and do that. Yeah, I think I it's, agree. It's my opinion, I think it's good to strike when the iron's hot. I think it's cool. As soon as you, you're like, this is right. And you can get into the studio or like, however you're going to record it to get the version of it. I think that's that's best, you know. And then, you know, if if it gets even better, well, who knows? Maybe you get the opportunity to do to record another version later on. Yeah, you know, actually, yeah. Thanks for expanding on that because I think that um, what you made when you said that it made me realize that yeah, it's not for ever. What I just described is not for everybody, and it could also not be the right process for me in some instances because what you could end up just sort of cementing bad habits. If you right. take something out on the road, you end up playing sometimes when you're when you're playing live, you're playing to your you're playing to your ability mm-hmm. live. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that'll handicap you and then you cement that and then you don't you it becomes harder to play it differently and it becomes harder to hear it differently. Yeah. But you so, could, it could it could be great cuz if you're the artist who's just like I'm going to do it, and you don't, you don't really, if you don't, just don't care, I shouldn't say if you don't care, but if you're, if you could just be open and, like, in the moment and, you know, not get too caught up and just, like, go with the feeling, then uh, it could be awesome. It could be the best thing for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. a lot in a situation like that. So, yeah, so I, I, I agree with what you said in that pre-production might be too soon to take them on the, on the road. Um, yeah. But the pre-production stage, like after you've done a lot of that hard work or maybe almost all of the hard work of getting all the, the, the arrangements down and having the song structures down and all the performances tight, taking it on the road is sort of like an energetic – taking it not, – not on the road. Taking it to a live audience is like an energetic thing at that point. Yeah. yeah. And also it's good practice. Like, I don't know, you know, it's just like – introducing um, a stress element in the, in the practice within a practice construct is like 
also good because when you're playing in the studio, there's a, there's a stress element that's, that goes beyond just practice. Um, you, know, you know, this actually can segue into like the very last part of the chapter of what we're saying now because I think later on in the chapter, he, he, he goes on and he starts talking about uh, what, um, like, you know, the chaos that can incur, like during the recording process. Yeah. Like all of a sudden you did all this work and then in, you, you do the pre-production, you get in the studio and I don't know, egos get involved or stress, whatever it is. Um, so I think especially if you're working with a band and your band, it depends. It, you know, I guess it depends on how much ownership everyone in the band has over the final product, you know, like, um, you know, you have your bands where you have a bass player that just loves your music and loves to play and whatever you want to do. They're like, I'm down. I support you. And you know, the keyboard player does the same thing. And then you have the bands that are more like, you know, brothers, Brothers and family, let's call family. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, I think maybe a healthy balance just to, you know, maybe you you have mixed feelings and going out and getting your, uh, doing it live and like getting feedback before it becomes such a concrete recording could be a very healthy thing as well. Uh-huh. So, you know, that too, you, know, you really got to sell everyone and all these like new ideas, new arrangements, new edits. Yeah, I agree. Um, let's, go, let's go back to pre-production. Okay. So f- we did preliminary pre-production. Stage five is, a disti- is called pre-production. That's a distinct stage. Mm-hmm. It says this is the pre-production phase of the project. We don't have to talk at length about it, too, but um, I just want to make sure that it's understood that there's distinct um, stages, according to this dude, Michael Beinhorn. Mm-hmm. Pre-production, pre-production ideally lasts for two to three weeks, although it can last even longer and involves daily rehearsals. Mm. I'm present with the band throughout the process. Yeah. So, yeah, so preliminary pre-production is sort of like there could be a lot of arranging. There could be a lot of, like, rewriting songs, all sorts of stuff like that. But pre-production sounds like it says at this point all the musicians should know the music they will be recording intimately. So this is like taking this is like you've already practiced the songs, I guess. Yeah. But now you're going in the studio. Actually, like I don't know if it says. It's... Well, another thing you said at the end of the quote, uh, and I'm just remembering I want to talk about this now. He's there daily for those like two weeks of which are basically rehearsals, refinement, during the preliminary pre-production, it can be a lot of FaceTime, Skype, trading files back and forth, giving written, giving written feedback. You know, it's a little right. bit more distant, and now they're finally, like, all in it. You know, now, like, if you're the producer, like, this is it. You, you really should have 100% involved into this artist at this point, and... Um, you know, you're there. You're the silent member of the band at that point. Right. Yeah, so that's, I guess, yeah, so, so you're right. Like, preliminary pre-production is sort of like, I mean, it's like, uh, it's a uh, more distant, more stretched out 
process of refining the songs, refining the performances, practicing everybody, getting to know their parts, such things like that. Pre-production is like, okay, where, you know, we're on the, the runway and we're ready for takeoff. You know, it's like everyone gathers in an area. We're going to the studio daily and it's intense. It's like the working period. Yeah. Okay. So then, and then page six, I'm sorry, stage six is, he just says, the next vista awaits. So. I really don't know what the hell he's trying to get out there. It says, just transition into the recording studio. Meet other members of the creative team. <laughs> I oh, literally. Meeting other members of the creative team? Yeah. So, you know, who's that? The engineer. The, you know, I don't know, whoever else may, I don't really know. I mean, geez. Creative team. Well, I'll tell you what. I haven't gotten that far yet. We dug into the I guess thing. an arranger, if you can, if there's an arranger, if there's an engineer, you know, specifically. Yeah. You know, this one was very amorphous. Maybe we should just you know, think on it. And yeah, I think, I think he'll go deeper into it later on, or does he? And I don't even, I already forgot. No. Oh, I don't know. Oh, he yeah. Goes a little bit more in depth. Okay. So let's, you know, we dug into it. This has been a long show. Yeah. Um, but we, dug, we really, like, dug into it, so which is awesome, because I think we're getting somewhere. Yeah. Um, so uh, everybody, if you want to read the book along with us, go buy, go click the link, Unlocking Creativity. Read along with us. Comment in the in the notes. Comment in the um, in the show notes, uh, or send us a message. I guess if you can do that. I don't know if you can. Um, with some feedback, hit us up on Facebook, etc. Get you some productions. And thank you, Justin, for always being a, a willing guest and uh, talking through all this stuff. Yeah, man, it's always fun. Thanks so much yeah. for having me. Yeah, and uh, until next time. All right, cool. See ya. See ya, dude. All right, later. Bye.